Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnes of Monday Morning Edition. And today I'm joined by Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. Good morning, fathers. Morning. Good morning. You know, one of the things we love to do is um, take advantage of the feast days to give us pointers and guidance around, um, uh, around the topics that we should talk about. And last week uh, was beautiful feast of St. John Vianney, one of my preferred patrons. But I'm with two men who are not just men, but priests of Jesus Christ who might also find a particular connection to St. John Vianney. Why would that be, Father Lewis? He is the, well, he's a priest. He's the patron saint of parish priests. I think of all priests now after the year of the priest by Pope Benedict. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I, there was a shift. Well, His I think, wait has increased. I yeah. don't, I think that, but they bailed on that. I think, oh. I think the religious priests put up a fight and that was backed off. It was, it was, it was proclaimed. It was announced it was going to happen. As I recall, I'm, I'm, I'm subject to correction here, but I think actually they backed off on it. They walked out. Oh, so I think it's still good. only diocesan priests. You know, I want to know who those wise monks are in religious that decided to reject I the know. patronage in the spiritual intercession of St. John Vianney. I don't want to go there. So <laughs> I don't know which religious orders led probably that charge. Probably a Jesuit. I'm I sorry. Didn't I say put anything. The, no? I'm putting that right out there. It was no. probably a Jesuit. So, I'm not saying all right. anything. I, when we come back, when we get started after we pray, I want to know who the patron saint of religious priests is. I don't know if there is one, but I'm interested in finding out. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer by Father Nagel. It's fitting that we should... Ha- this is Hebrews. Actually, the very end of seven I decided to go with uh, today. Is fitting we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priest, to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did that once for all when he offered himself. Gracious God, I ask your blessings upon us today and on all priests, um, that we might truly imitate Christ, the high priest, in our ministry, in our lives, in our discipleship, that those who are listening today, whether ordained or lay, might also grow in their appreciation and reverence for the priesthood, patterned and modeled on that of your son, Jesus. We ask this through Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father Nagel. From Hebrews chapter 7, was it? Was I yeah. right there? Yeah, was it? it was right at the end of the 7, yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> what I want to know is, that did I fall into vainglory or pride? What, what did I fall into, uh, according to the, the eight deadly sins covered in uh, Father Spitzer's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives? Which sin would that be, Father Lewis? Well, you get to take a little bit of glory, so maybe it is vainglory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I don't want to bring up the fact that we were going to actually cover that book today, uh, but someone, oh. some unnamed priest in the room with me forgot his book. Actually, you didn't forget it. You didn't know you were supposed to bring it. So maybe I should have texted you. Maybe I'll own that. Is that humble now? Am I, am I overthrowing that vainglory and that pride? Tom, I think you should just sort of back off on this whole virtue thing, because I'm not sure you're helping yourself at all. Um, no, I just don't think it's going well. <laughs> Dang, I'm just digging a deeper hole here. Yes, this is, exactly. I better call upon the patron saint of religious priests. Who would that be? Do you know, fathers? I don't know who it I is. I don't know. No, I don't you know. You know, it's the Feast of St. Dominic uh, this weekend. Maybe maybe it's St. Dominic. But then the Franciscans would have a beef with that, I suppose. I don't know if yeah. there's this, a patron saint of religious priests per se. I think the orders themselves probably have their own favorites. But I, I, don't, I don't know of anyone. But that okay, so, doesn't mean it isn't true. If they did that, would they want to break it up between like apostolic and uh, cloistered, like uh, sure or contemplative? I, would right, think so. I, I want to know who would you? Uh, uh, I want you to think who would be the best candidate? Who would be on your like top for three act, for of the... religious priests? For you can do contemplative, you can do uh, you can do um, active, or you can do it any way you want. Who are your top three patron saints for wow. religious priests? I think of Saint Bernard right away. Mm. Um, I say St. Bernard. You say Bernard? Uh, yeah, well, I guess I heard it both ways. It's like Augustine but, uh, and Augustine? Yes. Right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe representing kind of the contemplative, but I do think of St. Dominic for the kind of more active, uh, particularly in the role of the priest as, as a preacher of God's Word, and of course he founded the Order of Preachers, so there's two of my top three. Um, I, think, I have to think of the third one. Okay. I'll, I'll give you... How about you, Father Nagel? Um... I think Saint, I say Bernard as well. I think Bernard of Clairvaux would be a great one for the contemplative because he's also so active and he's, um, his priesthood is so alive and as priesthood. I also think that for 
the active orders, I think St. Dominic's a great choice. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, I think, would be also someone I would think of uh, right up there. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I wouldn't have gone to St. Bernard because he didn't actually found an order. Uh, I think I would have gone to, like, St. Benedict, you know, some early founder sure, yeah. of, of a contemplative order. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, he certainly had, St. Bernard, an amazing impact in terms of renewal of religious life and contemplative life. I, um, I think you, he... He, doesn't he get the award for like best Catholic family ever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> aren't like all the siblings are also yeah, can I say yeah. right there? Saint Basil the Great, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think. Godfather Nagel, you're going to say something. I was reading. I guess I was thinking of Saint Benedict. Some of those, some people are saying that he wasn't a priest now; that he was a monk, certainly and a founder monk. But I don't know if I buy that. But I, I was reading some of the scholarships thing, you know, wondering whether he was actually uh, ordained or not. But. Um, Take that for a historic. I've never heard that before. I hadn't either. That's yeah. really interesting, huh? Um, okay. I think it's a, I think it's a debated question. So uh, so today we're we're going to dive in and focus on uh, Saint John Vianney, and so uh, I I think we've I've asked you this question before, Father Nagel, about um, you know he is the patron saint of parish priests or is it diocesan priests? Is it just our parish priests? I think diocesan. Is that kind of a crossover? I thought prior to the year of the priest, um, it was specifically parish priests, but oh, okay. I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe it is Dawson priest. Okay. I well, don't know. I, I guess here's my question. As you all uh, were in the seminary and were fostering, um, like, well, I guess here's a question. When you were in the seminary, were you presented with the idea of not just growing in the spiritual life, but growing in a spiritual life in a priestly way, that there was a priestly form to living and um, and growing in your own spiritual life, I guess that's part one, and then part two in that would be, did it have any connection at all to the life lived of any particular priest like Saint John Vianney? I'll start with you, Father Nagel. Um, I I I do remember. So I was in the Mundelein in the mid '90s uh, for my seminary, and I do. There was a there was a conscious effort. Um, Father Larry Hennessy actually was one of the people involved in this, um, who's trying trying to trying to shape out a spirituality of the diocesan priesthood. Um, I actually believe it or not, I didn't actually take that course, or, um, but I do know there was talk. Uh, it, I think it was recognized that there was there was a need for this. That was, there was a lack, I guess I should say. Um, that there was a lack in terms of diocesan priesthood spirituality and what that entailed in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you sacrifice for Christ? How do you live as Christ? How do you just live in, in a Christ-like manner as a diocesan priest? And I do think John Vianney, my, my, the, the question I have is, I know that it, we among us seminarians, John Vianney had a powerful um, mentorship role. I, I do think that we were uh, familiar with his life. I think we saw him as someone to emulate uh, and to ask for his intercession. Now, to the extent that that was, um, that was fostered explicitly and intentionally by the, the formation faculty, I'm just trying to remember. I, I, there was never any, you know, don't don't follow that John Vianney guy. But I'm not sure if it was very explicit. So I, I do know it was sort of self-formed from below. I'm not sure how much from above. Well, I happened to, I, I joined the seminary at Bishop White here in Spokane during the year of, pre, of the priest. And um, we had an icon commissioned in honor of the year of the priest of John Vianney. And, and our kind of patron saint of that uh, of Bishop White uh, is, is St. John Vianney, although not named after him. So I... I uh, I kind of had a, at least a minor devotion from the very beginning of my uh, journey toward priesthood uh, by by those facts. And while in, in major seminary, I also did not, we didn't hear anything explicit in our lectures or anything necessarily about him, but um, but uh, reading of him and, um, you know, his biography and other books about him, um, and even like uh, maybe post-ordination pilgrimages to ours to, to, to see him, to, to tread where he trod, uh, were, were things that came up. Um, I so thought, did you actually go there? I did. I did. After after I was ordained, I, uh, me and another guy, we went to Rome. Uh, we were abroad three weeks, and uh, a part of that, we rented a car, and we went uh, across the south of uh, France to Lourdes, and on the way back, went back toward the northeast, toward Ars, and then 
back down into Italy into Assisi and back to Rome. And so we were uh, we were an overnight in ours. We got to celebrate the Mass on Trinity Trinity Sunday um, at at his altar, which is in the lower level underneath where he is enshrined above in the main basilica. So, but the altar that he used, we got to celebrate the Trinity Mass, a Sunday Mass. There it was pretty awesome. And anyway, in any event, um, you know, like Father Nagel, I'd I'd also thought if I were to describe a diocesan priesthood spirituality, what would that entail? And I even thought about like if I were asked to go on to to further studies, like maybe make that an aspect of my studies, maybe even like, a, a, you know, like a, a thesis, you know, what would that look like? Whereas the other religious priests, you know, there's there's kind of a distinct character to their spirituality and so on, but not so much the diocesan priests, at least not explicit. But then I started thinking, I think that um, a, a, a pronounced uh, devotion to the Eucharist ought to be a part of that by the fact that most of us, parish priests, diocesan priests, are celebrating the Mass each day and three, four times a weekend. Uh, but then also um, to encourage, if not outright require, uh, daily Lectio Divina because it's the practice, uh, by and large, of priests that I know to, to preach each day. And we should be diving deep into the Word and preaching it. And uh, anyway, those are two aspects of Dawson priest that I think uh, Dawson priesthood spirituality that I, I, for me have been uh, pretty pretty significant. Uh, you know, I, I think those are, I agree. I, I think that the confessional would have to be in there too, though, because again, John Vianney is a perfect example of that, that um, the, that's a huge ministry for the Austin priesthood. Now, not to say, of course, obviously on all this, the religious, pre- religious priests don't have the same, um, you know, uh, calling, but I do think that it's something that parish priests have to think about in terms of their flock is, um, yes, preaching, yes, the daily Eucharist, but then maybe the third thing being the confessional and, and the spirituality of the, of the confessor. So, you know, what's so interesting is that um, uh, when you think about the fact that the church raises up St. John Vianney as this patron saint of diocesan priests or parish priests, there's a, there's a sort of a quality of the exemplar, the model. In other words, if you want to measure your priesthood against the model the church is raising up, look at this one's life, right? right? That that's sort of the, I think part of the concept of patron saint is that, oh, yeah. you know, they they provided a model, and I'm like, not very impactful, because you know when I think about the ordinary, the ordinary sorry the typical life of a parish priest, it's not 12 to 17 hours in the confessional uh, a day or a week or probably even a month. Um, And so, or uh, like when I think about like what marked the life of St. John Vianney, it was like he was completely consumed with the salvation of the souls of his parishioners. And it took the form of like, you ever read any of his homilies like, Mm -hmm. or his catechesis? Like, man, you know, I know, like lion in the in the pulpit, lamb in the confessional, right? <laughs> so his homilies were not any like it was not like easy peasy, no. right? No. It was it was like you get cut sin out of your life and you get renewed and and all of that. And so it, it's interesting because I'm thinking if you said, well, what would be the life of a priest that was probably more of like call it a model for how priests actually live their priesthood today. I don't know, is it like St. Philip Neri, or is it St. John Bosco, or, and they're, they're religious, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, who is someone that is an actual model for how priests are living their lives? But uh, I spent those five years in the seminary, and there was never one mention ever of St. John Vianney as a model for how I should shape my own spiritual life. Oh, and by the way, the amount of fasting and penance mm-hmm. he did, and the, amount, and the amount of spiritual warfare that was part of his own life of faith was just, I don't know, incredible. Well, right? and, and, go ahead, Father. I, I think you can certainly you can certainly look at John Vianney and say, well, I don't see my parish priest, and the people of St. Monica's would agree with that, that I don't see my parish priest modeling him very well. It's certainly if you're looking at... Um, you know, the 12, 16 hours a day in the confessional, et cetera. Now, I would say this, though. I mean, um, in terms of that, that's kind of the late John Vianney stage of his life. When he became holy and famous, and he, again, the, his confessional was just besieged, and there was just thousands thousands of people waiting in line. But 
the first 10 or 15 years, at least first 10 years, uh, when you read about him, it's, it is much more of the, you know, he was go visiting his, his flock. He was, he was preaching. He was teaching. He was, he was helping out other parishes with missions. He was, it was much more a typical, um, a typical life of a parish priest. Again, it's early 19th century France. And so culturally, even in terms of his preaching style, I mean, he was, he preached it like everybody else did. Um, you know, he, he was yelling at his parishioners. He was telling them to go, they're going to go to hell. I mean, that was what every, that's what his neighboring pastors did too. I mean, the, so again, there's a historical context to put, put him in. And he himself would say, looking back, um, it is, again, I just, I'm reading the, the classic biography right now for, for the nth time, that he, he, cha- he would change, uh, you know, what, he, what he, he, he had done early in his life. And so I still think it's a model to aspire to, and, and if we're not living it out, I don't think we've changed for, to somebody else who say, well, why don't we? Would that it be true that people were knocking on my confessional so much that you know I had to be in there 12 hours? And that's on me at some important level. But I do think that he's, he, he gives you, a, not just in confessional but other places, a, a, a great uh, mentor to try to emulate. I really like that. I think that's a great uh, perspective to bring out the idea that he didn't show up, and in his first month, he was hearing 12 hours of confession, so that, that wider context. And I think I remember reading something uh, towards the end of his life that he was a little too harsh, yeah. I think was yeah. how he talked about it. Like, well, if I could do it over again, and even too harsh on himself, mm-hmm. right? He, he, him and his boiled potatoes, it, right? His, his youthful so, follies, he called them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Youthful Follies preaching about uh, damnation and hell and, and be free from it. So, all right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about St. John Vianney. And we do have some um, beautiful quotes here from his preaching and life. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. And reflecting on the gift of St. John Vianney, the patron saint of parish priests or diocesan priests, and um, just kind of, uh, well, reflecting in some ways on the priesthood, uh, here's one of the questions I have. So um, when I think about a priestly spirituality, right, it, it's, a, it's a spirituality that is aimed at service. It's aimed at pouring out one's own life, in this instance, for the salvation of the souls of your parishioners and of the whole world, insofar as the Lord would use you for that. Um, the, uh, the role of confession the role of confession. I'd like to explore that a bit more because, as you mentioned, Father Nagel, in the last section, the tour, as, as the life of um, St. John Vianney matured, as his holiness matured, the radiance took a particular form of drawing people magnetically to reconciliation, to going to confession. And obviously there was a gifting there, right? There was mm-hmm. a, a gifting of the mm-hmm. reading of hearts, right? This, this gifting of being able to help unveil to penitence their own sin and discovering the mercy of God that can sever connection from that sin and bring about real, not only reconciliation with God, but transformation. Uh, Is that a gift that you ever pray for? Is that a gift that you've ever thought about praying for? Uh, Because I actually pray for that gift for my priests. I pray that they would have that gift of being able to read hearts, to really sense the sin that is, um, is the spiritual disease of the penitents who are coming into their confessional. Father Lewis, I'm looking at you. Well, I, I, I've not prayed specifically for that, but I, I'm very uh, cognizant as I'm hearing confessions that it, I'm trying to engage in, I guess, what could be called a, a double listening. I'm listening to what's being confessed, but I'm also trying to listen to the promptings of the Spirit, like you know, what insight or words of consolation or what have you. Um, should should I offer in response as a, and, and then also like you know what should be the penance that would be um, that would be most meaningful for this person to to make forward progress again in the spiritual life so it's it's and that's that's kind of a more of a of a, I don't know if it's a charism necessarily but but a, a tactic I guess or a skill that I've uh, been taught and developed uh, being trained as a spiritual director through the Institute of Priestly Formation, which I took a lot of those principles, and of course it applies, I find, right uh, immediately in, in the confessional. But I'm not, I've not prayed for that, but I, I ought to. I have prayed that if, if I'm kind of in a lull, like I'm here for confession, I know there's people in the church, nothing's happening, 
then I'll, I'll pray for them, whatever might be blocking them from taking the step toward the confessional, let, let that be removed. And almost like clockwork, you know, every time the, the dam bursts and here they come. Brother Nagel. It's an interesting, interesting idea. Um, um, I think it's a great thing to pray for, for your priests. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've yet, maybe you know, in the future, um, but I don't think I've prayed for it. It's a charism, I suppose it is, but, but it's also one I think that God gives um, as you open yourself up to. Uh, I, I, can, I do think, as you mentioned, again, I, I think John Vinnie had a particular gift. Um, I, I do. I think that God gives gifts for particular times, and sometimes um, there there are people who are in salvation history have their own role to play. But I do think that 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 is it's not limited to John Vianney that reading of the souls. And so uh, I think it is a great gift to ask for in terms of parish priest charisms. Um, so I want to uh, dig a little bit deeper into this. Uh, so fathers, have you? Can you think of your most memorable confession? And, and by that, um, a confession where you sensed like something really supernatural happening. Now, obviously, it, it occurs in each confession, um, but it, something that was particularly like transformative or had a, a particularly powerful impact on your own life or your priesthood. And I'll start with you, Father Nagel. Well, I was just, you know, I thought, oh no, I'll probably hope you go with Father Lewis first. <laughs> Father Lewis, you're, I'll give you a minute if you want, Father Nagel. I, I, I just, I just, I'm trying to think, you know, so it didn't jump right out of me, so um, I'm trying to think. Um, well, I have had a, a couple, but I'm, I'm uh, hesitant to go deeper in case any of those penitents are, are listening, and then I've just... Oh, no, I mean them. when you were confessing. When, uh, oh, when I was confessing. When you were actually confessing. Oh, oh I was yes. a penitent, I, I, you mean? Yeah. Yes, when you were the oh, penitent. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh. Act, yes, there's one that immediately comes to mind. It was when I was a seminarian, actually, uh, not yet a priest, but um, one of our priests at the time was pastor of um, uh, two parishes in kind of northeast Spokane, and he had an associate, and um, and I, I think that this associate, he's now a pastor elsewhere in our diocese, I believe he has uh, the gift to read souls just as clearly as if he's reading a book. I was confessing behind the screen, so he didn't even know who I was, but his response to me was like it was just so penetrating but in a you know in a in a in a consoling and soothing way that was that was um, not just a, affirming me like they're there but but calling me out and at the same time like um like you know challenging me and consoling me at the same time it was a remarkable experience and so whenever this priest happens to come up in conversation with with parishioners i say if you get a chance to go to confession with him go immediately yeah that's beautiful mm. i I, I do know that there have been. Uh, I can think of a particular confession that was very consoling, and and uh, I guess consoling is the right word in terms of um, God's love and um, you know the in my place in His His heart. It's hard to you know because it's supernatural. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain the impact. I guess, but I do know the feeling of. Peace, not just in even that lots of times in terms of the confessional, you know, um, just re- relief of God's mercy, etc. But in a particularly strong way, saying, "Okay, this is this has solved a problem for me um, that that I have been released from that in some ways." That I remember is a confession in England. Actually, um, I was there for a year as a graduate student doing some research for my dissertation, so I do remember that particular instance. So you know, part of the reason I bring this up is that. Um, I had a particularly transformative confession when I was 18. Um, so it was right at the beginning of my um, awakening of faith as an 18-year-old. And there was a very devout, very traditional um, priest. He had a very strong devotion to the Blessed Mother. And um, uh, he, took, um, you know, he took some time to like, want to help me grow as a young man in faith. And I went to confession to him, and uh, when I was finished confessing, and I thought I did a pretty good job. Right? <laughs> I, I was like, you know, maybe I, he was going to bring up my pride, but he said, I see another sin on your soul. And I froze. I'm like, what? I see another sin on your soul. And I'm like, uh, can you help me out? You know, like, I don't know what it is. And he said, pray to the Blessed Mother that she'll help you come to see what the sin is. 
And I prayed like, man, I was like, please, you got to help me out here, Blessed Mother. And all of a sudden, what came to mind was, um, it wasn't just a sin, but it was a sin that led to other sin. And it had to do with um, something that my parents bought in the game section of uh, like a typical department store. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to a game section and you see Scrabble and Monopoly, there's another game that you'll find there. It's in a, a box that looks just like other games. It's called a Ouija board. I don't know if you have ever realized that. Mm-hmm. But my parents had bought, unknowingly, un- unconsciously just thought, oh, it's just another game. And I had played with it once. I would played with it once. And I remember... The way that I had interacted with that Ouija board to try to like get it to do something, I was like, I have done wrong. I have committed a sin. This was probably when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, 12 years old. And I remember, because we had a, um, we had a, our parents were really good about getting us to confession probably every month or two. So going to confession was a regular part of my growing up. And I can remember feeling so ashamed of what I had done that I was afraid to confess it. And I can remember the prompting to confess it, and I refused. Mm. And so Father, Father Lewis is now shocked. He is, I am. He is shocked <laughs> at me for the refusal. And it was, it was so funny because I had been schooled in this way of confessing that made me feel like, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm better than most people. So yeah. I'm going to hide that thing that I'm really ashamed of. And I can remember over the course of years— going to confession, having this thing bubble up, refusing to confess it, and then letting it fade back down Hmm. until eventually it stopped bubbling up. Isn't that fascinating? And so now here I am as an 18-year-old, and this priest reading my soul shares with me that he sees this sin on my soul, and I brought this up, and he says, that's it. He says, do you realize that you have in doing this, committed, right? The worst evil was the refusing to confess in confession and how that denied or negated all the value of like these other spiritual actions I was doing. Well, let me tell you, when I was forgiven, it was huge. Mm. Talk about a huge weight off my shoulders. So I can tell you there's a reason why I pray for that gift for priests to have that reading of souls or that sensitivity to be able to like call out something that might be hidden away because I know that I was unbound and set free in that confession. What do you think about that, Father Lewis? Well, you know, as soon as you mentioned Ouija board, I thought, well, I I know a diocesan exorcist or two would have some choice words to say about that, so I'm glad that that uh, confessor for you has has seen that and helped you to call it out. so um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, oh yeah, yeah, there's uh, tremendous evils there, and uh, and uh, now you're free from all that. That's a that's grace and a blessing. Thank well, God for that priest. Thirty eight years ago, okay, yeah, so yeah. it's been a long time. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying this was last week. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I was eighteen. 18. Yeah, um, Father uh, Nagel, any comments on that? I do think that's amazing, and I think I think maybe not maybe, but maybe not the Ouija board, but I do think that's a common experience of the shame of not being able to bring something out and it coming back up. And I think those who are listening, all of us who are listening to your story, I think it would be good for us to meditate upon because as you say, at some point the conscience goes numb um, and we can say no. Eventually if we say no to our conscience, eventually it goes numb. And but you know what is it that we've refused to bring up? Because I do think that it's and not something that you've forgotten. You just never get thought of. But something that you that that we forget that we refuse that we know about it, but we we don't say it because of shame. Um, so I think that's a, a powerful lesson for all of us. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what um, right. It's the whole concept of knowing that what will get when we unveil yeah. our spiritual disease is is the divine physician waiting to heal us, waiting to show us mercy, favor that we don't deserve. I think that that's probably the, the first and biggest obstacle, right, yeah. uh, to people coming forward in confession. Um, I think, sadly, uh, the idea of having a harsh confession or a bad confessional experience yeah 
is something else that holds back oh, so yes. many Catholics. I mean, would you agree with that, Fathers, Father Nagel? Yes, definitely. And that's a that's definitely a temptation uh, in terms of you know the human element of the priest. I include myself in this. That you know we've had bad days. We're tired. We're feeling sick. We're doing, whatever it is. Um, and to pray for you know you mentioned pray to be able to read souls. I think a, even a better pray for, uh, prayer for your priest is that gentle, kind, and patient. Um, it's a prayer for, that I've tried to start to pray about every penitent because I do think you're exactly right that people are very fragile coming in oftentimes. Um, and even if they're not, and even if they, they don't seem to be, and even if like maybe an earlier Tom Curran, thinks, they, they think they've got this all down and even that kind of sets you off saying, oh, wait a minute, you're a mess and you think you're not. Um, still, gentleness and kindness and patience um, you know, in the confessional, as you say, lying in the in the in the pulpit and and a lamb in uh, in the confessional, um, I do think that that's something every priest could could uh, hear uh, again and again. Say, hey, it, it, be very 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 um, cautious about ever um, being harsh in the confessional. Well, Lewis, any comments on that? Yeah, you know, there's. I've heard number of confessions where we begin, you know, bless five I've sent it has been, and then insert number of years, not days or months, but years since my last confession. I think the longest lapse uh, gap I've I've heard was, was over 50, 50 years, five zero, and one of two reasons almost invariably. One, you know, it just kind of fell out of the practice of going to confession. Maybe out of fell out of practice of the faith altogether, and this is the beginning of a journey back. And the other reason is, you know. I had a, a bad experience, and I was just not going to go back. And time has elapsed, and they're they're braving it to come forward again. And that's when I really, really know. Always in the confessional, I'm I'm treading on sacred ground, and on those moments, especially like, you know, the pre- the pressure's on, but in a in a way that that isn't like putting pressure on me. I just realize that we're in a sensitive spot here, and um, and all the more so. So I, I'll begin my response with, you know, thanks be to God that you've been inspired to to make this journey back, and and the Lord receives you once more in the fullness of His grace, and I go from there, and and I try to just speak words of pure consolation because if they bother themselves to come anyway, that's that's the that you know their act of contrition began with taking that step into the confessional, and then completed with the words that they pray. I don't need to say anything that's like overly harsh or, you know, it's been 50 years, so you, you need to go pray the Stations of the Cross on your knees on broken glass. I'm not going to do something like that. They've, they've taken such a leap of faith just to come back, and the, and the Lord wants to receive them. So, yeah, it's, uh, I've heard that many times from folks, that uh, they've been away because of a, of a bad, uh, bad experience. Well, I've got several more questions along this line about the experience of, of confessing and being in the confessional. But what begins to break when we come back? We'll continue our conversation today with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis on Sound Insight. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. We're talking about confession and doing so in relationship to St. John Vianney's feast day was actually last week. I think it was last Tuesday. And... Um, uh, or Monday or Tuesday? Wednesday, I think. Was Wednesday, it Wednesday? Yeah. The fourth? Yeah. The fourth was Wednesday? Okay, right. So um, and so here's my question. Just before the break, Father Lewis, you were announcing like the long, like the, the person who comes into the confessional after a long time. And um, what would be your words? Because I know that there's some folks listening right now, literally, who have been away for a long time. Like when they come in after a long time and they don't know what to do, they don't even know where to begin. All they know is there's something that, some impetus that has driven them to say, I have to come to confession. Um, what would be your message to them to just to be like, are you guys like ripping mad? Like, how dare you come in now right, after all these times? Or, or what, would be, what would be a message to them that you would say, look, here's what you can expect if you come into the confessional after a long time? I've coached folks into, you know, I, I personally would, uh, re, you know, kind of in the confessional relate with these folks as if I'm hearing first confessions of second graders. And so just to be, um, uh, you know, charitable and kind and at peace and just help walk them through it. Because, you know, in this moment spiritually, they are, they are as child, childlike, I, I, I would, I, I, I presume, I, I, I would suspect. And so, just a little bit of guidance, like, you know, Father, it's been years. I don't even know how to do it anymore. Okay, so, you know, we begin like this. Let's make the sign of the cross, and we do. 
And then you say, bless me, Father, if I have sinned. Bless me, Father, if I have sinned. It's been so long since my last confession. Okay. And usually by about then, someone who had done it before, it's it starts to kick in. But that kind of gentle prompting on my part helped them to kind of get that uh, motor revving again. And um, and if they're still kind of stuck, I say, and now just you know, kind of confess with your sins. And a lot of folks be like, well, I know we're supposed to confess kind in number, and I can tell you the kind, but you know, I can't. You know, Help me, I can't remember how many times. So I, I coach folks like, well, I would start with like the big things, you know. I Well, I shouldn't have committed genocide that one time. Okay, that's a big thing. Let's get that off your get chest. Get the boulders out of the get way. Get the boulders right? out of the way. Don't worry about the pebbles. Yeah. yeah. And then like kind of things that you know you've kind of developed the bad habits. You know, maybe it's, maybe you have no idea of how to uh, know that the exact number. Will they take the Lord's name in vain 1 million times or 1.5 million times in the last 50 years? Well, maybe kind of give an indication of the, the kind of the frequency, the frequency of the habit. You know, I, I tend to do it daily. I tend to do it several times a day. Okay, the purpose of that is for the priest to kind of, uh, for me anyway, to kind of understand the se- severity of what we're dealing with. You know, it's one thing to go to a doctor and say, I've got this rash. It's another thing to go to the doctor and say, I've got this rash on this part of the body and it weeps and bleeds daily. Okay, that's a little more detailed and the doctor can do something a little more specific to that than just, I have a rash. And so I figure spiritually it's about the same thing. So I guess those are some kind of things to keep in mind for folks that might be making their journey back to the pilgrim, uh, back to the um, confessional. Father Nagel. I, you know, something I often do in those situations, I, as Father Lewis had mentioned, I, I do welcome him back. And I, I sometimes ask, just, just for myself, you know, what brought you back today? Um, because that can sometimes gives context of what's going on in their lives, a crisis or something. But I, and it's in an invitational way, not an accusatory, just saying, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit has prompted you and you've said yes to the Holy Spirit. What was the context in which you said yes? But then I also, um, I, I often, I, I, I offer, say, I could ask you some questions because uh, they don't know what to do. They don't, and they don't know where to begin. And so I start going through the Ten Commandments, expanding it out, and just say, you know, what about this? Has this been part of your life? Have you, you know, have, um, you know, have, has this sin figured in? And explain it a little bit, break it down. Um, so I think sometimes people find it easier if I ask questions and they can respond yes and no, or sort of, and, you know, that it can be helpful if it's been, you know, decades and they don't know exactly what to do. It's sometimes easier to respond to a question than to come out and say it. Um, so I, I, left, I sort of prompt them and see, is there anything here that you want to talk about? And so it's that, that kind of thing is, is something that can be useful as well. You know, I, Carrie had an experience that shows how even like a challenging confession can have a really positive effect. So um, we were down in Portland and we were at, um, uh, I think it's like uh, Our Lady of the Rosary. It's a Dominican parish, uh, very traditional. And um, there was an older priest that was visiting the the community. I think he was African. And so we we went to confession. Um, We were down there for actually in our anniversary, our 25th anniversary. And um, I went in and then, and she went in afterwards. I said, how was the confession? She started laughing. Because I said, oh, yeah, it was really good. Because I use the Ten Commandments as my means of confessing. I'll just kind of walk through the Ten Commandments. And that's just my habit for examination of conscience. Well, Carrie is more existential. So she'll more sort of st- share in narrative form the sins that she's bringing out. And um, the priest kept cutting her off. <laughs> and mm. said to her, you're just not making a very good confession. And... Uh, she was just like taken aback, like, but when she came out, she was so, she shared that she was so struck by that, that it made her like become a bit more like rigorous and like, like raw and raw in her honest identification of here's the sin, mm-hmm. not here's the story and the context and the dynamics and the background and okay, do, do you understand now, right? Versus kind and number. Mm-hmm. Here's what I did. Here's what it looked like. Here's how many times, and I'm really sorry for it. Um, and so that's a phrase that we sometimes will throw around now in our, in our marriage. It's like, you're just not making a very good confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there's that one. And the other one, um, Mary Grace came up to visit one weekend with her friend, and we went to, um, we went to Mass at St. Joan. And the priests there are a bit more rigorous in the confessional, especially one of them. He's a lion in the confessional. 
So I have my kids steer away from him. And, um, and, and he, like, just put it out there. Look, it's a good thing you didn't die. You would have gone to hell. Like, bam. Like, you know you are in the state of mortal sin. You do realize if you die in a state of mortal sin that you, you end up in hell. Thanks be to God for the mercy that you received to be here today to get this forgiveness. And she said that shook her. It shook her that she was grateful for God's mercy, but never had been presented in such like stark terms. What's at stake in um, sort of blithely or in a sort of casual way, permitting oneself to be in mortal sin. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. What do you think about that fathers? You know, that's, uh, that's true. It's dark. And, um, uh, I, God bless him. I don't think I would have the <laughs> the courage. And I I would suspect. Uh, you know. Um, I I think I, I know can even ta- tell you her sin was missing Sunday mass, and it was, was during COVID. So oh, was, okay, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. but go ahead. Well, I, I suspect I know which which of those priests you're talking about, and I, I I know him to be a very prayerful man. So um, uh, if he's going to say something like that, I suspect he. Uh, experience a prompting of the Holy Spirit, like this needs to be said to this person because, or maybe not even a because. And she hasn't missed Sunday Mass again, mm-hmm. which is so, amazing. So, so you talk about, like, again, a challenging hammer mm-hmm. that actually broke something loose. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I think it just shows that, but, you know, the, the, being a confessor is an art more than a science in the sense of, you know, there's the right things for the right person at the right time. Um, and you can get it wrong too, but you mentioned the whole idea of praying for that char- the different charisms of being able to read the soul or be able to. Sometimes people need challenges. Sometimes they they just need you know consolation. I mean, it's 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 hard. To, it, one size doesn't fit all, um, and so that's why I say it's kind of like an art more than a science. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. There there are times when I think challenges are necessary. And there's times when. I wouldn't do that. It just depends on the person's journey. So, you know, I, um, I'll bring up one other aspect of this I'm interested in hearing about, but we're up against a break, and, and so I'll have you answer it afterwards. Um, there's another priest there that I don't know if he actually has a, um, a, a gift of, like, reading of hearts, but I got to tell you, um, the gift that he has is he's able to get a sense for, among all the things that I confess— the thing that needs to be paid attention to. Um, that is really something. I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, it's really an unexpected thing. It, the, the charism that happened there where I would go in and I would confess my sins. And I, I honestly try not to, like, hide my worst sin in the middle of other ones, kind of nest them in there and hope you <laughs> fathers don't pick up on it. Like, never, I, never works. No. <laughs> yeah. But I got to tell you, the um, the way in which this priest has um, just like literally like grabbed something out, and I I had like literally no expectation that there was going to be some kind of like new light for me because you know I already know all that stuff right, and right. I've studied all this stuff, and the way that he honed in and, and, and spoke into it, it was like really really powerful, so. Mm. Uh, anyway, so I, I want you to, to speak to that um, after we come back in a minute on Sound Inside. All right, welcome back to the program. This is Father Lewis and Father Lewis. This is Tom Kern with Father Lewis and Father Nagel. And so I just I told you that story. Uh, Father Nagel, I'll start with you this time. That story of when you're hearing someone's confession, uh, I talked about the idea of hiding your worst, someone's worst sin in the middle of other sins to somehow obscure what really should be attended to. That, but then the second thing, as you're hearing someone's confession, do you ever get that prompting to say, tease out this thing, focus on this, draw this thing forward? I do, in the sense of, okay, what's, I, and, I, and I, I mentioned earlier that I hadn't really prayed for charism to be able to, you know, read the soul, et cetera, but I do think it's, it's, it's more in line saying, okay, what, what do I need to address? What, you know, there's been seven things being mentioned here in this confession. What needs to be, I can't speak it and I don't want to speak about all seven. You know, we can't do that. But what needs to be addressed? And, and I do get some sense, I, I'm not saying that I have the same, uh, 
you know, ability as this priest that you're talking about or you've had experience. But I do think it's a it's prayerful to say, okay, what does, that is a question, what needs to be addressed here? Um, and, and so something needs to be said, but what, which, which is the, the sin that the, this person most needs to uh, grapple with or to be, uh, at least at least been challenged or consoled or it, it needs to be cleansed somehow and, and has some personal attention paid to it. So I do think that there's that idea in my mind um, in the midst of confessions. You know, I think of, uh, you know, going back to St. John Vianney, the, the priest and the man, the famous you know aspect of the end of his life where he would hear confessions for 12 hours a day or longer and hundreds and thousands you know but this is in the old the old right what we now call the old right the, on, the only right then and uh, and I, I i'm not familiar with it but i've heard one time that to to go through the rubrics of the confessions of the sacrament uh in the old right to say all those prayers as they need to be said it takes like 4 minutes and so why did he have such long lines? Um, there was a, a how he said them that spoke to people's hearts or just a, uh, just a brilliant economy of words of him just zeroing in on the one thing necessary and, and hitting it and the folks left with, a, with an experience of God. And that has inspired me to like, what is that one thing that maybe, so I do deliberately kind of listen for, I do listen for that. I don't kind of, I, I do listen for what is the one thing and uh, sometimes the penitent will, will give me the cue. It's, it's where they start to break down in tears. That's where they are most wounded, so that's where we speak to. If, it's, if, I'm, if, there's lack, if, if that's lacking, if it's just the same tone of voice throughout, then I'm listening for, well, if I spoke to this, would this uh, also speak indirectly to these other things? Because maybe they're all related, and that's, that's, where, the, that's where the phantom thread can come loose if I pull here. And um, and you know, oftentimes maybe what's thrown into the litany of the sins is um, I've I've been lax in my prayer life. So maybe objectively it's the least serious of the sins confessed. But I try to guide them. Well, you you know reestablishing that firm habit of praying each day is your direct lifeline to God, and your life is daily infused with some measure of grace thereby and some connection with God. And these other things will start to you'll be able to be strengthened in the realm of grace and virtue that these other things you'll start to improve upon too. So you've got to start there because if they're confessing seven, eight, nine, or ten different things, they're overwhelmed with, how do I right the ship here? I, that's overwhelming. So let's, I help them to say, well, focus on this maybe, and the, and the rest, trust in God that the rest will follow in due course. So when I think about, like, you uh, fathers, Father Nagel, Father Lewis, talking about, really like the transformative power of confession and you sharing your own experience from your side. Um, it, for me, it sort of highlights the tragedy of how little emphasis has been given to going to confession, um, maybe in the Northwest. Right? Maybe it's just more on the Puget Sound side of things, but the lack of emphasis on that, the lack of like um, highlighting invitations, come to confession, make a regular confession. Here's how you go to confession. Here's the difference it can make. Because so many people are just literally in bondage, like spiritual bondage, darkness and confusion, because they're trapped in sin and they don't realize the gift that is available to them. Like, why aren't our churches, like during the times when confession is available, why aren't they full? Why aren't they just people there? And, and, I, I just, I guess, I'd like to, f to have you fathers just speak to, um, like, the, the sadness or the or the or the sign of brokenness of of what's happening in our church today that we don't have a greater sense of uh, faithful uh, attendance and, and devotion towards a regular confession. Mm -hmm. I'll start with you, Father Lewis. I, I suspect a, a large aspect of that is just in general um, a loss of the sense of sin amongst, uh, well, all of us, priests and lay alike, and um, in the priests, maybe that's seen um, most commonly in just the, the lack of uh, even mentioning the word sin in homilies or in other, um, other ways of speaking and teaching the people, and um, maybe in general a lack of um, uh, preaching about what the confession is, what confession's all about and the, and the blessings of going there and, and the needful, needfulness of going there. Um, I have preached to that and spoken to that, um, not all the time, but there's so many things 
we got to preach on, but but I'm happy. You know, I'm happy. It's not an experience that that I have uh, observed in my own parish. You know, um, I have so my parish. We have three confession times each week, and um, and as far as I know, just uh, you know, the average week, it's a it's a it's a full hour. Frequently, a full a, a goes over an hour. In fact, one of those is Saturdays. I'm thinking I'm gonna make it a 90 minute thing so that. I have time to get the mass ready because I'm going right up to ten minutes for mass before I'm finally out of there. But well, we get there right at the beginning. We've, yeah. we've learned not yeah. to get there fifteen minutes in because there's a line. Yeah. So and I know other parishes in Spokane that you know cathedral uh, in downtown Spokane Cathedral Lay Lords. Their lines are like out the door, and they got two priests hearing confessions. And there are some of those parishes that have that going on. I think that's a blessing and a grace. Uh, um, and uh, I hope it's happening elsewhere. But um, it's yeah, I think that's part of it. We. We in general have lost a sense of the of sin and uh, the sinfulness of of uh, actions that we may commit on a daily basis. I think that I think that part of that is on us priests uh, just to to preach about it certainly and just to make the confession times available because that's one of the most powerful one of the most powerful ways you can preach about it is yourself going into the confessional, sitting down and saying, "Come and I, I'm here." Um, my time, giving my time to this sacrament. It's a very powerful preaching in and of itself. And I think that people pick up on that. I remember my, my I just moved parishes, so my, my former parish, just like what Father Lewis was saying, we, we had confessions at, uh, before every daily Mass, so Monday through Saturday before Mass, half hour before Mass. We had Friday evenings, we had Saturday afternoons. And it was false, you know. Uh, there was lots of confessions um, because I'm doing that in my new parish, saying, "Okay, we're going to have confessions before every daily mass, Monday through Saturday, and we're going to have Friday nights and Saturday afternoon confessions." They already had Saturday afternoons, but you know, it's just it. You just have to say, this, "You're right. This this is important. This is why it's important." Now get here. I'm here. Now you get here. So I, I do think it's, but and I think they respond. I think people respond. Um, I, I, I think it's hard for many of us to go to con- reconciliation, but I, I think that if, if the priests make it a priority, the people recognize it. So I think a lot of it's on us. Yeah, I, I, that has completely been my experience um, at St. Joan of Arc, right? So that's where we, we're going typically on Sundays. And uh, I mean, it's, the lines are unbelievable, and um, and, and it, that's one of the charisms, if you will, of the FSSPs is that they highlight the Eucharist and confession as sort of the essence of what they're there to do. So they don't have a lot of other things that father, fathers you have at your parishes, so many other things going on. But I got to tell you, it has fostered in my kids an awareness of going to confession on a weekly basis or monthly basis. If they go now two months between confessions, they're feeling it. They're like, okay, I haven't been to confession in a couple of months. So... Um, I got to tell you, that's amazing, and I'm really happy with that. <laughs> All right, we've got 30 seconds left. Fathers, you have 15 seconds each. What's your final word today? Well, I might uh, channel my inner Father Z, who uh, runs that blog post. I know he's kind of a firebrand, but he ends all of his par- blog posts with, go to confession. So I might encourage folks, go to confession, give it a try. And all of us priests need to recognize that as well. We need to go ourselves, and then we have to offer it for the other people. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Fathers, so much for being uh, with me today on Sound Insight. Uh, God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.